today. I need you as I bring the word today. Thank you for this time. And we thank you for this time in your house. Bless us as we look at this passage. Open our hearts, open our ears to what you have for every single one of us today. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you all. You may be seated. Thank you, team, so much. Great job. Thank you, Derek. privilege to bring the word today. Very glad to give Pastor Scott a well-deserved rest once in a while. Very glad to be with you guys. And we're in this promises. Looking, we're in this promises. We're in this series. Looking at the promises of God. All these things in scripture that he has given to us to understand and to know about this life and the life to come. And the Lord laid on this passage for me to look at today. It's a fascinating passage. It's a wonderful one. So much interesting stuff, so much applicable stuff for every one of us. So I'm excited to bring it today. And we're going to jump right in. I don't have a super cool intro. I'm going to read this passage, read it along with me. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to start reading verse 3. We're going to take a look at this together. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. Rather, he seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. As the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. And this is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Lord bless the reading of his word. You see the title of the sermon up there. You can tell this is going to be one of those feel-good weeks, right? <laughs> You're excited for this one. Um, this is what this passage is about. An encouragement for us to endure, to share in suffering together as we walk this life of faith. As Pastor Scott often starts out, as he did last week, let's set the context up first. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, quite obviously, based on the name of the book. As he is writing this, he is in prison, as he alluded to right there in that passage, in Rome. And this is not a good time for him. Uh, the Roman prisons were not known for being uh, cushy kind of resort type things like some of our prisons are these days. Uh, he was having a rough time. Uh, and he's going to talk about it later on, we're going to refer to it. A lot of the people who were ministering with him are no longer there for various reasons. He says, Luke's the only one who's with me, my buddy Luke. Uh, you can tell, he's hurting inside, he's hurting outside, he's in a rough place. So, no wonder this is on his mind as he's writing to Timothy. This is first and foremost what he's going to talk about. As we walk this life of faith together, the need to hold fast, to endure, so that we can receive these promises that he's going to talk about later. 
So this passage, like I said, there's so much fascinating stuff. We're going to get in real quick. I'm going to try not to go too fast, but I want to get to everything. As we look at this passage, he talks about suffering kind of in three aspects. The first one is what I'm going to call kind of the human component. The second part is what I'm going to call the spiritual component of our suffering. And the third part are those eternal promises that we're going to look at that are tied to that kind of endurance and suffering. So, we're going to jump right in here together and look at this human aspect of how and why we can suffer together. Paul gives Timothy this command, this exhortation, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then he goes into these examples that are very, very pertinent to us and to how he's thinking about suffering in our lives as a Christian. It's easy to look at him being in prison and think that he's talking just about persecution. We have to endure that. And sometimes we do. That's absolutely true. Um, if anything, that's almost obvious, that sometimes we're going to have to endure ridicule. Uh, sometimes we'll have to endure attacks on our reputation. Sometimes we will have to endure attacks on our livelihood. Sometimes, even in the world today, there are people who have to endure, just like Paul did, imprisonment, death, for the name of Jesus Christ. So this is obviously part of what Paul's talking about. But in these examples, we see a whole other aspect that he kind of brings out that's maybe not as obvious right at the start. So he talks about us being good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And he's thinking about a soldier, and again, obviously, he's in prison. He's got guards there. He's got this right on his mind. Again, he's thinking about them, watching how they live, watching what they do, and he says, good soldiers live their lives in a way that they remove everything that's not necessary. They get rid of everything that we, as civilians, as he says, are often concerned about, family and all kinds of stuff like that, because they are single-minded about how they live their lives. They are on mission, and they are seeking to do the will of the person who is above them, their commanding officer. This is what it's all about for them. They're not worried about all the other things that we have going on in our lives. They've got one concern, and that is to please the person who's sending them out on mission. Now, throughout literature, film, TV, all kinds of stuff, there have been many depictions of the soldier, of uh, good soldiers. And as I was thinking of them, uh, this one came back to me from my youth. I think it's a pretty good example. I'll see what you guys think. Who knows who this guy is? Major Payne. Who said that? Nicole knows who that is. You guys know him. Very funny movie, very silly movie from uh, back in the day there. If you haven't seen it, let me set the stage. Major Payne is a battle-hardened army ranger, black ops, special forces, killing machine. But this movie is set in the 1990s when peace broke out around the world. Those were the days, right? And so the army told him, we don't need your skill set anymore. And they gave him the only position they had left which was to take over kind of a mess of an ROTC program at this boys' school. I think it was in Virginia or something like that. And so the hijinks and the hilarity ensue from him having to try and set these boys straight. While you're watching this movie, though, you see this example of somebody who is so dedicated and so on mission. It's almost hard to understand. There's a part in the movie where there's this lady. She's the guidance counselor at the school. She's trying to get to know him a little bit. She's asking him, Major Payne, do you enjoy sports? He's trying to find a way to connect. Do you enjoy
enjoy sports? He says, negative. She says, okay, what are your hobbies? He says, negative. <laughs> what about romance? Have you ever had a special lady in your life? Negative. If the army wanted me to have a wife, they would have issued me one. <laughs> this guy, he's serious. So she finally, she's a, there's got to be something that you do just for fun, just for you, just to enjoy yourself. And he says, yes, there is. Okay. He says, sometimes I like to hang upside down, blindfolded, take my gun apart, clean it, and put it back together before all the blood starts to run out of my nose. At that point, she gives up because this is a picture of a guy who is so dedicated. He eats, lives, breathes, thinks, army, mission. Anything that is not the mission, he's not worried about. Anything that doesn't help him accomplish the mission, he's not worried about. He just wants to know where to go, what to do. And Paul would say to this guy, two thumbs up. That's a good soldier. Now, it is possible to take this, you know, no analogy is perfect, and we don't want to take it too far. We as Christians, as believers, are not forbidden uh, from engaging with the things of the world, from having a family, from having friends, from having hobbies. These are all wonderful things and good things, things that help us connect to the world, to reach out to unbelievers, to, to connect with those around us. But at the same time, there is a degree where it's possible to get too wrapped up in these things sight of the mission. Because we are all soldiers of Jesus Christ, right? It's not like we're all believers and then, oh, if you want to take that next step, oh, now you can become a soldier. No, that's, that decision was uh, not afforded to us. <laughs> when you decide to join up with Jesus Christ, you're joining his army. He wants you to keep that mission right in the forefront of your mind. Again, he does want you to have a life. He does, obviously, we're supposed to have families, or we all would have died out a long time ago. Um, but he wants us to not get too entangled with that stuff, not to get too weighed down by all the stuff around us. So in this case, the suffering is more of a self-imposed suffering, a life of self-denial, of self-discipline, of understanding moderation, in certain ways, in certain areas of our lives. And if there is any group in history that could stand to probably learn this lesson, it might be us, us being modern-day Americans. We have no shortage of things in our lives to distract us, uh, to fill our time with, We could probably stand to learn this lesson just a little bit better, to find something in our lives that's not bad, but something that we would be willing, like a soldier, to say, I'm going to set that aside. I would like to engage in it, but it just takes me too much away from the mission. I know I could, 100%. Learn a little bit more self-denial, a little bit more self-discipline, like a good soldier does, so that I can please my commanding officer. The next example that he gives is the athlete. And again, a lot of us follow sports, enjoy that, that pastime. We've seen stories of uh, guys who are very dedicated to improving themselves, to improving the sport uh, that they participate in. And even back then, they had this. 
those ancient Olympic games. Paul would have been familiar with this. The people would have been familiar with this that he was writing to. Timothy and those people in that Greek area. And he says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, the way that sentence is written, the way it comes across in English, it makes it sound like he's talking about cheating or playing fairly according to the rules. That's really not what he's getting at here. It's true. We're not supposed to cheat. (laughs) We do want to compete fairly. What he's talking about is the preparation for the competition. Uh, What we've discovered in looking back at these ancient Olympics and ancient games is that there were prescribed regimens for how these guys were supposed to prepare themselves. And when it came time for the games, you had to swear an oath that you had prepared according to what they had set forth. And if it was found out that you had lied, that you had not prepared yourself, then you were disqualified. This is a little bit more about what he's getting at. The life of preparation, the life of dedication your greater goal. And we know he brings up the the analogy of the athletes in other passages, talks about that life of self-discipline, how he treats himself and his own life like an athlete would, disciplining his body so that he'll be found worthy of winning the prize at the end. Same thing is here. It's not the actual competition, it's in the preparation. Getting yourself ready, knowing what it takes participate in the games. Also, if you don't prepare, you're probably not going to win anyway, so it's kind of a two-edged sword there. Um, But you see how this ties into the life of the soldier. Both of them are aiming for a higher goal. The athlete is aiming to win the prize. The soldier wants to please his commanding officer. And so both of them look at their lives and see what it's going to take to get there, and they're willing to get rid of what's not helpful to them in that way. The athlete, I'm sure, would like to eat all kinds of good stuff, but he eats usually a very specific diet that's going to prepare his body in a certain way. Uh, He trains very rigorously. I'm sure he would like to take a day off sometimes, but he knows. I've heard athletes talk about this. There's a saying that a lot of athletes uh, go by, is that if the day that I'm not training, my opponent is, and when we come together, he's going to win. A lot of them have this mindset that sometimes it's a little hard for us to understand, but that's what it takes if you want to be a winner. So we've got two examples here of these people who are dedicating their lives towards this greater goal. Now we come to the third component in human suffering that he gives us this example of the farmer. Now, I'm going to take a, a tiny little detour here um, to, to explain this verse a little bit. And I've got it there in your bulletin. I've got what I call an alternate translation. Let me put it up on the screen here. Sometimes when it comes to translating the Bible, it, it's flat out hard. Some of you have been in class with this and remember I explained this. To go from Greek to English, it's difficult. <laughs> These two languages are super different. And sometimes it's almost like a puzzle to put them together. And the way they did it in all of your translations, it's not terribly, terribly wrong. Um, And they all do this. All the major translations do this. I would be shocked if you have one that does not. It says the farmer, the husbandman, must be the first to partake of the fruits of his labor. 
that's, that's okay. It's not a terrible, terrible translation, but I think it might not be completely the best translation. And I don't say this because I'm the greatest Greek scholar in the world, but I am leaning on one of the great Greek scholars in biblical history, which is John Calvin. Calvin proposed this alternate translation. Farmer must work hard before he receives the crops. Let me, real quick, uh, if you're not interested in this Greek stuff, I give you permission. Check your, check your brackets, go on your phone for a couple minutes. I'll reel you back in in a second. Um, but if you want to stick with me, I'm interested in this stuff, so here we go. Calvin gives a twofold argument why he does this. His, he, he was 400 years ago, he was writing this. And even then he said, I know how everybody else translates this, which is the farmer must be the first to partake. I get that. And he also said, I understand why people translate it that way. It's because they're following the rules of Greek. He said, but in this case, you can't follow the rules. In any language, you've got figures of speech, you've got little turns of phrase that technically break the rules of whatever language you're in. He's like, this is one of those. If you follow the rules, you end up with your translation. The farmer must be the first to partake. He's like, but it's one of those where you have to break the rules. They use the participle, hardworking, but he actually means the infinitive, which means to work hard. If you use the participle, then you're stuck with this first word, and you have to find a place to put it, and really the only place you can put it is in the partaking. If you use the infinitive to work hard, now you can put the first in front of the working hard. All right, so that, that's the language stuff out of the way. He also bases his argument on just a contextual basis, which is just to say, when you look at these three examples, they should all be the same. Paul's, he's got one thought in mind here. But when you translate it that the farmer must be the first to partake, it's disjointed. It doesn't fit with the other two very well, anyway. Most people will say that means that this is talking about how pastors should be paid, should be uh, remunerated for their work in the churches, which is true, and thank you for understanding that. <laughs> Paul, Paul makes that clear in other passages. But that is not what he's talking about right here. Right here he's talking about suffering and endurance. And so to throw in this, oh, also pay your pastors, it, it's out of place. It's out of joint. So based on these two things, this is Calvin's argument. And I'm going to add my own little spin here. If you take these statements and turn them into the negative, you really see how this sense comes across. So the first one, the good soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian life so that he can please his commanding officer. If you turn that into the negative, you get the bad soldier gets distracted by all kinds of stuff and he's not pleasing to his commanding officer. Same thing, but opposite, positive negative. The athlete competes, prepares according to the rules so that he can win a prize. Okay, the poor athlete does not prepare himself according to the rules and will not win a prize. All right? All right, now to the farmer example. If we do it the first way, the farmer must be the first to partake in the crops. If you turn that into the lazy farmer, should not be the first to partake in the crops. That doesn't make much sense at all, really. 
whether you're lazy or a good farmer, you're the farmer. It's your stuff. It's not like if you're a lazy farmer, somebody else gets to come in and have the first pick of your stuff. But if we do it according to how Calvin would say, the farmer must work hard before he receives the crops. Okay. The lazy farmer who doesn't work hard is not going to receive the crops. I'm not a farmer, but that makes more sense to me. From what I understand about farming, it's very difficult. And if you're not working hard at it, it's more likely you're going to end up with nothing at the end. All of this argument puts together, if we understand it this way, it fits just a little bit better with this passage. The soldier, the athlete, the farmer, it's all talking about somebody who's working on the now, the short term, in a certain way, in light of the long term situation, what they're trying to preach, what they're trying to get to. It's talking about process versus result. Suffering and endurance now in order to achieve a greater goal. And all three of them are about this sense of self-denial, self-discipline, applying yourself to the work now in order to achieve that goal. Which again, I know I could stand to learn much better. Uh, this is one of those. <laughs> Sometimes Pastor Scott will tell you, it's hard to preach some of these messages when I'm the one who needs to hear it first. <laughs> um, this is what it's about. It's finding a way in our own lives to get rid of the stuff that's, that's distracting us. To get rid of the stuff that is weighing us down, that's getting us too busy. And you see this in churches today, especially, again, in our context, modern-day America. A lot of believers, if you ask them, are you willing to die for Jesus Christ, they would say, yes, 100%. And I believe that they are telling the truth right there. And then you ask them, okay, could you spare a few more minutes a week to help us out with this thing at church or this ministry? Yay! I'm real busy. I got this going on. I got this going on. I don't know if I can spare the time for that. Like, oh, what you're really saying is your life is full of We're willing to die for Christ. We're not necessarily willing to be uncomfortable for him. But these guys are soldier, the athlete, the farmer. They get it. They don't take days off. They don't get distracted. Because if they do, then the greater goal is gone. He's going to lose the prize. There's not going to be any crops. The commanding officer is going to be displeased. They don't want that. Guys are single-minded in what they're after. So this is what we're calling the human component of suffering. We're going to move on now and talk about it more in the spiritual component. Let me continue reading here. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. The word of God is not bound. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. Remember Jesus Christ. We're taking those examples and now we're bringing them into the spiritual realm. The soldier works hard to please his commanding officer. We should be willing to suffer and endure for our Lord, for our commanding officer, Jesus Christ. 
not only is the one who's sending us out on mission, he's the one who is right down with us, right here in the trenches. He knows what it's like to be a foot soldier. He came down. He did the mission. He lived the life of self-denial and endurance. Not just the cross. Three years out there. Going through all kinds of stuff. That was part of his suffering as well. That was part of his endurance. Obedience to his commandment officer, the Father. He said this so many times in the Gospels, it's hard to even count how many times he said, I am here to do the will of my Father. Commanding officer, all he cared about was pleasing the Lord, even though he is the Lord, which again, hard to understand, but that's how intense this was for him. He showed us what it's like. He showed us he was willing to do it. Not only that, right next to us down here, he was the one who stepped in front of a bullet for every single one of us. And now he's the one giving us our marching orders. Is there anybody you would rather serve to please than Jesus Christ? I can't think of anybody. That's what Paul is saying. Remember Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on him. Don't let the distractions get in the way. Cloud your vision. Keep it clear. Keep it on him. And you will want to to work hard. You will want to suffer. You will want to endure for him. He is that commanding officer for us. He goes on. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory second aspect of this suffering the spiritual component is that we suffer not only to please our Lord, but we suffer so that the gospel may be spread Paul said that's one of the reasons I'm doing this that I'm willing to endure so that more and more people will hear about Jesus Christ and more and more people will obtain the salvation that he offers to us I've got another picture, another guy I don't think anybody's going to yell out his name. This is Francis Asbury. Now, again, a name that not many believers know these days. It's too bad, really, because uh, his story is amazing. Uh, very inspirational. I received my undergraduate degree from the university that's named for him, Asbury University, in outside Lexington, Kentucky. And in doing so, I thought it'd be good to check out who this guy was. And I was amazed. By his story. Francis Asbury, I could, I could spend hours up here tell you. It's, he's one of those guys who lived a life that's just mind-blowing. I'm going to try to boil this down to a couple minutes. <laughs> Francis Asbury was a Methodist uh, preacher, minister, circuit rider, around the Revolutionary War kind of time. He was born in Britain. He had all the sixth grade education. He never considered himself really smart. Uh, then he was a blacksmith apprentice. Then he got saved under one of John Wesley's circuit-riding preachers in England. And he said, that's what I want to do. I want to dedicate my life to being one of those guys, to helping spread the gospel uh, to these folks here. And he did. Uh, he worked real hard. He became a circuit-riding preacher for John Wesley. And he was known for being one of the toughest guys there was. He was willing to go preach where none of the other guys were. He was willing to go preach to the coal miners. He was willing to go preach to the dock workers guys who, it's not like 
we think it's a failure if nobody's listening to us. Back then in those places, they didn't want to listen to you. They start throwing things at you. They start throwing punches. He was willing to go talk to those guys. Then one day, John Wesley comes along and he says, guys, I need a volunteer to go over to America and help guide the church over there, the Methodist church that's getting started up as people were emigrating over to America. And when nobody else raised their hand, Francis Asbury said, send me. So he did. He got on a ship over to America, never saw his family again, never went back to England. When he got to America, he had his, you know, he had some clothes, he had his Bible, he had his journal. When he got here, he bought a horse. He spent the next 40 years living on horseback, riding to every single town that he could find in those colonies, preaching to the people who were there, setting up churches in the places where people got saved. Go to the next one, do the same thing. Next one, do the same thing. Next one, do the same thing. Until he'd done them all, and then he started again. And if people made more towns, he went there. Forty years on horseback. I know some of you guys like to camp. I know some of you guys take some time, go up in the mountains there, you really enjoy it. That's awesome. Is there anybody here who would like to volunteer for 40 years on a horse with a sleeping bag? I didn't think so. <laughs> That's what this guy did. And he endured. He was often sick from exposure, from just the toil it took to get from place to place. This was not like England, where the preachers... It's legendary that uh, John Wesley, in his circuit riding in England, the horse got so used to it, he could actually he could just sit there and read, and the horse would take him to the next town. Because the roads were so good... The horse knew where he was going. That was not America at this time. Asbury, he probably had a machete or something like that with him because he was blazing trails to these towns. Wesley uh, was famous for asking his circuit riding preachers to commit to fasting three days out of every week. Asbury had to knock it back to two because his body simply couldn't keep up with the demands of what he was doing. He was constantly sick from all his exposure. He was tired, and he never once stopped. Never had a family. Never had a romance. Again, he figured that's not the mission. My mission is to preach the gospel to every single person I can find in this country. And just to show you what the Lord can do to somebody who's willing to endure, willing to put themselves out there a little bit, when he came to America, historians estimate that there were about 2,000 believers in Methodist churches scattered around there. After his 40 years, he had 2,500 circuit-riding preachers under his direction. And they think that there were 400,000 believers in Methodist churches. I haven't done the math on what kind of <laughs> increase that is. Somebody can do that for that's pretty good. I mean, we talk about wanting to hear, you know, I hope the Lord tells me, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm pretty sure Francis Asbury got like a gold star, you know, in addition to that. <laughs> or a smiley face sticker or something like that, because that's pretty, pretty amazing. 
That's just one example, and there's many others through history, church history, many believers who endured like that. That's just one person who was willing to endure to please his commanding officer and to endure so that the gospel goes out and more and more people are spread. Paul would give him two thumbs up, too. <laughs> there's a third reason that we suffer. And this one isn't necessarily exactly in this passage, but it's in this book. And that is to encourage and strengthen our fellow believers who are going through suffering right alongside of us. This is what I was talking about with Paul right now. He's in prison. And if you read on to the end of the book, he, he goes through every person who left him. He says, this person got distracted by all the things of the world, left the ministry. He's gone. This guy got scared and ran off. He's gone. This guy and this guy left me. The only person here with me is Luke. You can almost feel just that discouragement. All these people, they, they were not willing to share in suffering. They were not willing to endure with me. That's why he's encouraging Timothy. Share in suffering with me. And he asked Timothy at the end, please come and see me when you get the chance. Because he needed that encouragement. He needed that strengthening. Certainly the Lord gives us strength. Certainly the Lord gives us joy to continue on. But man, it's nice to have brothers and sisters come alongside of us and to help us in those times. So this is encouragement to us. You guys do it so well here. This church body is amazing at coming alongside of people who are going through tough times. Lifting them up spiritually, taking care of them physically, if that's what it takes. That's part of this. All of these things part of this life of suffering for Jesus Christ. All right, we're doing good. We're going to come to this last section now. Finally, the promises. We've talked about the human component. We've talked about the spiritual component. Paul also gives promises attached to the subject of suffering. We're going to look at this. I'll read it real quick. He says, this saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He starts out saying, this saying is trustworthy. It seems like this was something that was well known in the churches at that time. He's expecting Timothy to know it. Historians, uh, church uh, scholars think that Paul might have even been the author of it. Uh, we're just not sure. We don't have any record of it anywhere else, but he seems to have this understanding that it's a well-known kind of thing. It also makes sense that Paul could be the author because it's very much in line with the way Paul thinks about the life of faith. Uh, I've talked about this before in how Paul understands the Christian life in the lens of our unity with Christ, union with Christ. When we become a believer, we become knit together with him in spirit. And then he goes on to talk about, okay, now that's what that, here's what this means for your life going forward. And this is exactly what this is about. Especially this first one. It's amazing. It says, if we have died with him, then we will live with him. This one's super fascinating. Notice it's in the past tense. If we've already died with him. Now, As a guy, you know, my memory isn't the best sometimes, you know, and I think a lot of other guys will understand, you know, sometimes something comes up and you're like, turn to your wife, did that, did that happen? Did I do that? And she says, 
glass you didn't. This is just my mind being funny. I can see somebody, you know, honey, did I die? I don't remember dying. Um, she said, no, you didn't die. Okay, okay. Um, but it's in the past tense, if we've died with him. So what is it talking about? It's not talking about physical death, but it's talking about spiritual death. It says if you've already died with him, then you get to live with him. But we haven't died spiritually either. That comes at the end of our lifetime. This final judgment. But the beautiful thing, again, with this union with Christ, if you come to him, you say, yes, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that you can save me. I give my life to you. You are now in charge of my life. I give myself to you. Holy Spirit takes your spirit puts it together with his. Now you're one with him. And guess what? He's already died spiritually on the cross. He experienced that. And now you are put together with him. And guess what? That means you can never die that death because he can't die again. See, this isn't just like touchy-feely mumbo-jumbo that we talk about here. This is reality. This is how this works. You become one with him. Therefore, you get to skip over that experience because he's already did it for you. So if you have come to him, if you've come to that place of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, yes, I believe you're the Son of God. I give my life to you. Then it's counted. You've already died. Now all that's left to do is to live with him. And we already do, in a sense. We're just in this weird in-between place, kind of like a caterpillar in a cocoon. We're just waiting for that moment where we get to burst forth and be finally, fully <laughs> alive, in a sense. That comes when we finally get to glory up in heaven one day. This is promise number one. Promise number two, the one that really is probably why Paul this right here. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Again, he's talking about this endurance that he's been referencing the whole time, the suffering that we're willing to go through, the suffering that we're willing to impose on ourselves. If we go through that, then we can look forward to that eternal reign with him. And again, if you're a believer, you're going to heaven. You are going to reign forever. Church scholars think that what's in reference here is a sense of that extra crown that might be associated with suffering in this lifetime. And if you've read a lot of Paul, you know that Paul references different crowns for different things that you go through even in this life uh, that will be awarded to us in heaven and that we will give back to him because it's really through him that we're able to do this stuff. That's what they think we're talking about here. Is that if you are willing to endure, willing to suffer, Jesus Christ, willing to please him in that sense. When you get to heaven, you will receive that crown, that reward, that well done. And this is fascinating to think about, because again, we think of any kind of suffering as bad, 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 bad. And of course it is in a sense. But when you're suffering for Jesus Christ, people who are putting you through that they don't realize this 
they are just increasing your reward in heaven one day. This is why the apostles, shortly after Jesus went back to heaven in the book of Acts, they went out and they were preaching and preaching and preaching, and the Sanhedrin brought them in and beat them and said, you need to stop preaching the name of Jesus Christ. What did they do? They rejoiced. If I'm suffering for doing this, then that means I'm doing something right. That's hard <laughs> for us in any kind of suffering to rejoice. Whether it is persecution or whether it's just that's our denial or whether it's just circumstances that come our way, sickness and illness and loss and despair. Hard to understand that is something to be happy about. But there is a way because we know that God works all helping us to become more and more devoted to him. And he's increasing our reward. Even though we can't see that right now. The third promise. Now things take a little bit of a turn here. The first two quite obviously were made to believers. This one not so much. If we deny him, quite simply, he will deny you never come to the point in your life where you say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, then you are the enemy. There's no middle ground. It's not like you're neutral until you make a decision. You're either with him or you're the enemy. If you never come to the point of joining up with him, then you have denied him. When you die, when you get up there, he is going to deny So this is a little bit scary. This one's a little bit sobering. <laughs> you don't want to hear those words. The one th I mean, there's a lot of bad things that can happen to you in this life and beyond, but this is the one thing you never want to hear. It's for Jesus to say, I don't know who you are. So if you never come to that point, tell you today would be a good day. <laughs> you don't want to be denied when you get to the other side. You want to live with him. You want to reign with him. That's what this third promise is all about. It's a warning. You've got the good promises now. Paul says, hey, to take this seriously. We're not messing around here. And now we come to the fourth promise. And this one... It's also fascinating. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Biblical scholars who look at this particular phrase are divided into two groups. It's pretty equal. One group interprets this as Paul saying, just like Derek referenced earlier, if we, as believers... If we fall, if we mess up, and we're going to because we're not perfect, if we go through those times of despair, if we, all kinds of stuff, just like Pastor Scott talked about, we don't have to worry about him abandoning us. He's not going to do that. He said, I am with you forever and ever. Nothing can take you out of my hand, no matter what you do. 
you've got a whole bunch of people who think that's what's talking about here, and that's true. And that is a wonderful encouragement for us. Not to worry about failing, because he's always there to pick us up, to help us grow. And thank the Lord for that. There's another group of people who think that what's happening here is another warning. So you've got two promises to the believers, two promises to the unbelievers. Because the word there, when he says faithless, that's really the word. We are without faith. Every other time that's used in the New Testament, in the Greek language, it's talking about non-believers. They do not have faith. So in this case, this goes along with the denying promise. If we are faithless, if we never have faith, if we never have belief in Jesus Christ, he is faithful to execute the sentence that he has promised to unbelievers, which is spiritual death. And that is also true. If you absolutely forced me to pick which one I think was correct, I think I would go with the, the warning. So we've got two promises to believers, two promises to unbelievers. Too good, too bad. But if it turns out the other one is true, great. They're both true. We just don't know exactly which one Paul was getting at. So he spoke a little bit vaguely here. But it's like, being, it's like being asked to choose between 2 plus 2 is 4 and 3 plus 2 is 5. They're both right. So whichever way you want to understand it in a sense, or both, excellent. If we as believers have those times where we fall, where we mess up, he is going to hold on to us. He is going to be there to help us through that. If anybody is an unbeliever, never comes to that place of belief, he will be faithful to execute that sentence on them because he cannot deny himself cannot go against his own perfect and holy nature. Both of those are true. All of these promises are true. And thank the Lord for it. As we come to a close here today, as I've said throughout this, you each know your own life better than I do. Like I said, I know the things that I could certainly stand. A little bit more self-denial, a little bit more endurance little bit more self-discipline in it. And you certainly know the things in your life. Maybe you could ask the Lord for help to help you endure a little bit more self-denial, a little bit more self-discipline. I'm going to give you a couple specific things uh, to help you get started. I put my card down there. Those Easter cards that we got that I showed you at the beginning. We are asking you guys, we could have had somebody mail them out for us. That would have cost a tremendous amount of money. To print them out does not cost very much. To mail them costs a lot of money. <laughs> so we said, well, why not just print them out and ask you guys to distribute them for us? This is one thing that we're asking you to do. If you want to do that, if you want to take some to work, if you want to put it on a bulletin board, if you want to do all sorts of creative things like that, great. We are also going to ask you to take a little stack, you know, about a quarter inch, there's about 25 of them, grab, grab a few like that. Go for a walk down your street and just stick those in people's doors, just like they do those menus. Maybe some of you have done that before. <laughs> just give them a little invitation. They come to the door. They're going to see somebody came and gave me this invitation to come to Majestic on Easter Sunday. Now, a couple caveats. It's illegal to put stuff in the mailbox if you're not the mailman, so don't do that. Because um, they'll definitely know where it came from. <laughs>
also, like Pastor Scott said before, you know, if there's a no soliciting, you would want people to be respectful of you, so let's do that. Let's give people a round of space. But if there's an opportunity to just go up, you don't even have to knock on the door. We're not, if you want to, awesome. But if you just want to go put it in their door so they see that, get that invitation, the people on your street, that would be amazing. We pray that the Lord would use that to help bring in all kinds of folks on that special Sunday to hear the word. So that's one challenge. Saturday too, Saturday night. Come join with us both times. That would be amazing. Just to sing and rejoice together and celebrate Christ on that weekend. So yeah, grab some on your way out. Like I said, there's tons out there. Great, great weather ahead this week, mostly. There's a couple rainy days, but some good warm weather to go out there for a walk, take your family out there, stick it in a few doors. That would be tremendous help and I think a tremendous blessing to a lot of folks. There's one challenge. Number two challenge, Pastor Scott has uh, encouraged us to be in the Word, be in preparation as we get up towards Easter during this time. I'm going to raise the stakes a little bit. I don't know if we have any poker players out there. I really enjoy a good poker game. And so I'm going to raise the stakes just a little bit here. We have three weeks left until Easter. I am going to take one day each of those weeks and I'm going to fast and pray. I'm going to challenge you guys to do that with me. Now, if you are somebody who has physical limitations or diet restrictions or anything like that, you are excused. You want to be wise about this. But I would encourage you to pick something else. Fast from it. Fast from the TV. Fast from your phone. Fast from social media. All kinds of other stuff that you could pretty easily pick. But if you're physically able, then I'm going to challenge you to do this with me. Fast for freedom. Fast from food. One day each of the next three weeks. And we can do it together. Like it says here, we can endure this together. I'm going to do it on Wednesdays. If you want to send me a text of encouragement on Wednesdays, that would be tremendous. If you want to write down your name on one of those cards and tell me what day you're going to do it, I will send you a text on that day. Give you a little encouragement on how to get through that. Just a little step to help us learn a little more discipline, a little more self-denial. Because when you do this, when you're in this, especially when you're doing this for food, you know, you get those hunger pangs. Every time you get those, that's a good signal. I should pray right now. There's lots of things you could pray about. You could pray for our Easter services. You could pray for those invitation cards that go out. You could pray for our kids' ministries. You could pray for our kids' teachers, for our Awana. You could pray for our safety team. You could pray for our pastor. You could pray for our elders, for our deacons. You can pray for the people in your Sunday school class. Not hard to find things to pray about. <laughs> and when you do that, by the end of the day, you're praying a lot. I promise you that. I've done this before. I, have, I haven't done it as well lately. But I'm going to take this challenge. I'm going to set the stake. I want you guys to, to call me on it. It's going to cost you a little bit. It's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. That's what it's all about, raising the stakes, right? In a poker game, you want your opponent to sweat it out a little bit. And this is going to cost me if I want to, if I want to stick with this. It is a little bit, just a little bit. And if it teaches us a little lesson along the way about endurance, about 
self-denial, about self-discipline, with Christ, so much the better. I'm going to pray. Derek's going to come up, lead us again in this song. That song, was it tied in so well to that new text, All I Have is Christ, especially that third verse where he says, Lord, my life is yours. You do with it as you will. That's, you're the commanding officer. You tell me what to do, I'll do it. You're, you're in charge, though. That's what we're getting at here. That's what we're going to pray together right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for this message from your word. Thank you for this encouragement from our brother Paul to endure. And through enduring, through patience and self-denial, we learn what it's about to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. learn how to get rid of even more distractions in our life so that we could focus on Jesus Christ and exactly what he wants us to do, what the mission is. And the mission is to tell other people. The war is already over. We don't even have to fight anymore as soldiers. He won it. All we got to do is tell people you have a chance to join the winning side. Help us keep that in front of our mind. Help us to follow these wonderful examples that we have in Scripture believers throughout church history. Thank you for them. Thank you for their life of dedication and the good work that you've done through them. Pray that you would do amazing work through our church right here as we do this, as we engage a little more endurance in you, that you would reward and people in our community would be touched and they would come to Christ.